Christ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Um, got one announcement for you from me. Um, we have, today is our launch date of a brand new junior high ministry Instagram account. So uh, for those of you that have Instagram, if you could put up, there's actually a slide up there, Mark. Um, no, there's a legit actual slide. Um, if you have an Instagram, we want you to give us a follow. Um, we're excited about the different things that are coming up. Do you see back there? There we go. Um, some of you, yeah, we saw some of you follow it, um, but this is going to be one of the, the best ways to kind of follow us. And I know a lot of you do not have Instagram. Um, and so, but a lot of your parents do. Raise your hand if your parents have an Instagram. Some of you are like, I have no idea what my parents do or don't do. Um, we know it because all of, already some of your parents have started following it. Um, but this is going to be cool, just a, a way um, for you to kind of be connected to church, to the youth ministry during the week, because you're not at church every day. And this is going to help kind of create some of that barrier gap. We want to use it to encourage you uh, during the week to keep going. Maybe we'll, we'll post sometimes a follow-up challenge uh, to Sunday's message. Uh, you'll be able to figure out everything that's going on, upcoming series, a new event, things like that. So it'll be a great way for you or your parents, uh, if you do not have an Instagram, to uh, follow us. Uh, you can tell your parents, you know, when we're up away at camp or at an event, we'll, we'll try to be posting up there, uh, just so there's a, a better connection. Uh, that's really the heart behind it. And uh, yeah, it, it should be cool. We're excited about it. We want you to, uh, to uh, follow us and we want to... Uh, have your parents follow us. You can give us a, maybe a shout out on your own personal Instagram, but we just want, want to kind of get everyone who is involved here um, uh, to start getting on that because we're going to start updating that. So uh, exciting. Uh, any questions on the Instagram? Should be cool. Um, so let your parents know uh, if you do not have one. If you do, give us a follow. But uh, this morning, uh, we're actually going to be starting our second part of our message that we started last week entitled Conviction, Confession, and Commitment. And yes, we're in Nehemiah uh, once again, Nehemiah chapter 10 this time. We looked at chapter 9 last week, but they were uh, oh so connected. And so uh, we're going to take a look at now chapter 10 this week. Um, have you guys ever heard the, fra uh, the phrase that someone is afraid of commitment? Yes, no, uh, whether it's with, a, with like a job or maybe it's with a, a relationship. Uh, but it, as Christians, you and I shouldn't be afraid of commitment. Uh, the Christian walk is a walk of constant commitment, meaning, you know, maybe you've heard the phrase, we are to commit our lives to Jesus. And there is that, that one-time commitment, right? That, that dedication of and giving over to your life to Jesus. But then for the Christian, there's this day-to-day -day continued commitment on every part of our life to Jesus. And true Christianity is to live an all-in commitment to the Lord every day, not just a one-time commitment that you made, but every day following that. And if you can remember last week, the big idea that we looked at was this, that repentance is not just a one-time act of salvation, but a consistent attitude we are to have before the Lord. And so this is, again, going to be our big idea um, because we're not done looking at what repentance is in its entirety. Uh, we looked at mainly, last time we were together, the first part of confession, or repentance, sorry, which is uh, confession. Uh, were you guys not done with the big idea? You want us to put that back up? 
All right, go back one more, one more sec. And, and so today we're going to look at uh, the second part um, of what does repentance mean and what does it look like in our life. Um, if you can remember last time we looked at that, that longest prayer in the Bible in chapter 9, and the whole thing was that the people were in this attitude of broken confession before the Lord. So you can go to the, the, the next slide. If you didn't get the big idea, we'll have it again at the end. But the first thing, remember, repentance is a two-part. We looked at the first thing, which is confession. That's the simple acknowledgement, I did wrong, and I did wrong against you, God. And how in that confession, we're to actually be genuinely broken about it, not just the, sorry, God, won't happen again. Uh, That there should be this this, uh, posture that, in a sense, we have before God of, God, I'm uh, man, I, and there should be this tone of, of seriousness uh, between the Lord. That's what he wants in our confession. And the second thing is what we're going to look at today, which is commitment. And that's the action. That's the determination to say, okay, now my confession is going to turn into commitment. Um, and that is repentance. That, that is the two things, but they have to go in order. You see, I love that we looked at last week how God doesn't want your confession to involve commitment just yet. Meaning when you come to God and you say, God, I'm sorry, it's not that now you need to pay back God. And you say, God, because I did this, I'm going to tithe extra or I'm going to serve extra at church or I'm going to be super respectful to my mom. That he says there needs to be some kind of, I think the Bible describes that there needs to be a pause between confession and commitment. That before we start committing to things, that confession has to be first. Sometimes we jump right away and we say, sorry, God, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And God says, no, before I desire what you do for me, I want you to just be with me and let's work through this thing. But the second thing is what we're going to look at today Because commitment is the natural progression of confession. If there is true regret and remorse over sin, then there's going to be some action to back up that claim. That there's going to be some kind of evidence to back up if that confession was legit or not. And so let's pray and we'll get into the word this morning. Father, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have breath in our lungs and that we can sing to you and, and worship you and praise you. Lord, I pray that you would instruct us through the reading of your word. Uh, Lord, that it wouldn't just be a man speaking, but it would be you speaking. Lord, that as we come to your word, we, we trust that, that it, is, it is truly alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into the deepest parts of our life. Lord, we're open to you today. And so we ask that you would teach us in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. And so uh, before we do get into chapter 10, though, I want you to look at the last verse in chapter 9. The last verse, it's verse 38. That verse 38 marks the transition from confession to commitment. Uh, Verse 38 uh, marks that. It is, remember, at the end of the longest prayer in the Bible, which is this prayer of confession. And, and this whole time, they're, remember, they're declaring who God is. They're declaring what God has done. And they, then, they, then they proclaim what they had done against God, that, that prayer of confession. But look how they end it. They end that prayer in verse 38. And they say this, And because of all this, what they had just said, they say, We make a sure covenant, write it, 
and sorry, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our leaders or Levites and our priests seal it. Meaning that there is kind of three things that took place here within their, this is the beginning of their commitment. And there's three steps. They say they want to make it, write it down, and seal it. Make it, write it down, and seal it. You see that in verse 38. It says that we make a sure covenant. That word sure covenant means this, a firm agreement or firm determination or firm commitment. Obviously, the idea here is that it's firm, meaning uh, immovable, unmoving. That after their confession in this long prayer, they get together and they make this commitment between everyone and the Lord. That this is agreement, this is this commitment, and it's, it's more than something that was just created. It's, it's the idea of a recommitment. It's a renewal. Saying, God, this is what we should have been doing all along, but we started lacking, and so we're going to make a recommitment to those things. Then they say they're going to write it down, meaning that uh, it was a binding written agreement. That this wasn't just like something they discussed. It wasn't word of mouth. They're like, okay, hey, we talked about this, this agreement between us and God, this commitment. Let's write it down now. And then it says that they get together, their leaders get together and they sign it. Meaning like, okay, you guys know Declaration of Independence, right? And at the bottom, what are there? Bunch of signatures, right? And whose is the biggest? John Hancock, right? And why, why, what did all those signatures represent? Yeah, the leaders, and they said this, yeah, we agree. And it was showing that, that they were agreeing with what the document said, this declaration of independence. Well, in a sense, this is a similar idea, that the leaders get together and they're like, yes, we all agree to this. I'm sure Nehemiah's name and Ezra were probably some of the biggest. And they're, and they're getting together, and there's this corporate commitment to the things of God. The people decided what action should follow their confession, and they committed to the action. And in a sense, they, they signed on the bottom line. And the leaders did this representing the people. And now, committing to certain vows to God was a common practice in the Old Testament. Um, but in the New Testament, we see something kind of change that I don't see, and I agree with uh, David Guzik, who we'll look at in a second, he, he kind of notes, and I, and I agree, that there's no commitment or vow that we're kind of to make in the New Testament. Meaning, of course, we're to commit to our life with Christ, but it's different than the Old Testament, where the Old Testament, a common practice, they'd come to the temple and they would make these certain vows before God. David Guzik says this, though, our relationship to the Lord is that of children to a father, and our father wants our obedience to be based on love. He says, I don't know of any examples in the New Testament of believers taking oaths of obedience to the Lord. Our obedience should be a joyful response to all that he has done for us in Christ. And I like this, that he, he kind of notes here that our commitment to Jesus and, and following him, it's not that we have to make these vows and, and, and we're a little bit different because our relationship with God is different than when the Jews had a relationship with God. Now you and I are able to look to him as our father, that we are able to call him, call him Abba Father, meaning we have this close connection. And the obedience and the commitments that we have in our life should really be based upon that love and upon like this joyful response of we want to serve you, God, not out of obligation. You guys know what obligation means? 
right? It means like, man, it's like you, you kind of, you have to do it. Because, well, I said that I would do it, so now I, I have to do it. But our response of commitment to God should be based more upon our relationship rather than a religion with him. All this to say uh, is that we should be wildly committed to living a life that's pleasing to God. And when those sins in our life do occur, which they will, uh, to not only be in a place of confession, but also, okay, committing to, I want to please you, God. That should be the basis before we start making specific commitments in our life. Does that make sense? And so now we get into chapter 10. And within these first 27 verses, uh, it describes all those people who signed all the John Hancocks on, the, on, the, on this document that they've written up, this commitment to God. Uh, within the first 27 verses of chapter 10, it's that first half, it notes all of those people. It says, now those who placed their seal on the document were dot, dot, dot. And it goes on to name actually 84 different people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of, a lot of signatures. Um, it was two different, two leaders, 21 priests, 17 Levites, and 44 heads or leaders of the people. It doesn't really matter, but this, this was a significant thing uh, that they did together and they signed their name on the dotted line, meaning that they agreed to it, that whatever was going to be committed, that they were in too. And so those 84 people that are represented are just representatives of all the people. Remember, there's probably anywhere about 50,000 people uh, altogether, but I don't think they would have a document big enough to write all those signatures, right? And so they had the leaders, the, the representatives, same like the Declaration of Independence, that there was a lot more people to agree, but those were the leaders of the document. Does that make sense? Okay. And so now we get into some of the, the nitty gritty, if you will. Uh, but 28, verses 28 through 39 describes what they signed. Okay, so the first 27 verses described who signed it. It's a list of names. You can read them if you like, but that's your choice. Uh, but the, the next segment of the chapter is describing what they agreed to, what was actually on the doc document, uh, this, committed, this committing to the Lord. Well, if you look at verse 28, and we'll read down, and we're going to jump around a little bit. We're not going to read the entire uh, rest of the chapter, so just stick with me so that uh, you don't get lost. So verse 28, it says, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's laws, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments the Lord, our Lord, of the Lord our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we would for, uh, forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt." Verse 32, also we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of God 
uh, for the house of our God, meaning they, they were going to start giving back to God rather than just spending all their money on what they wanted. Then jump down to verse 35. And we made ordinances or different, different parts of the document to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of the trees year by year to the house of the Lord. Meaning that, meaning that they were going to start giving the best of what they had rather than giving God the leftovers. Then jump down to verse 39. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms, where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. So kind of a lot, but hopefully you were able to gather some of the things that they were committing uh, to stay away from and committing to do. And that's really the two categories of commitments. They were committing to God and saying, I'm not going to do this, but God, now I am going to do this. The would not do and the would do's. That there's this commitment to separation, meaning I'm going to separate myself from these things, but also God, I'm going to start obeying now in these areas. If you notice in one of the verses, it talks about how the people, they welcomed in uh, God's cursing. And you're like, what does that mean? That they wanted God to put a curse on them? No, it's more speaking of correction. The Old Testament talks about God when he talks to his people. He says, behold, I, I put before you a blessing and a curse. Meaning if you go in my direction, I'm going to bless you. But if you go away from my direction, I'm going to have to correct you. You see, our God, the one that we serve, when the Bible describes him as our father, it describes him as sometimes a disciplinary father. And that is a good thing. When they are welcoming God's curse into their life, they're saying not curse, it's, it's a difficult kind of translation, but more correction. Saying, God, when, if I do go off straight, God, I'm gonna commit this to you right now, but if I do get off the path and we're pretty good at wandering, then God, would you correct me? Would you put me in a place that I would go back to that path because I, I want to stay on this. God, I want to commit to this, but I know myself. And so I think it's a good practice to do. I think God's gonna do it no matter what because he's our father. And so it's not like a child has to go to their father and say, hey, would you correct me if I misbehave? Right? The father's gonna be like, yes, I'm already doing that, right? And so God, because he loves us so much, he's gonna, he's gonna do that. But I think it is a good practice for us uh, to even say, God, uh, help me stay on that path, Lord. I invite your correction into my life, which is a, sometimes a hard thing to pray because we know he's going to do it. But if you notice, a lot of these commitments that they made had to do with their relationship with the Lord. Uh, sorry, not the Lord, the world, meaning how they related to the world. Meaning they say one of the commitments that they made was, okay, if uh, we're not going to give our daughters to sons that, that aren't in, in uh, following after you, basically. Meaning that there's going to be this separation so that there's not this mix. Our, our daughters and sons aren't marrying off pagans and people that don't believe in you. And so it's this commitment in that way, uh, that, that they wouldn't make the world a part of their family, but also that they wouldn't let the influence of the world uh, help them to break God's laws. Meaning it talked about the Sabbath day, right? That was the one day they were supposed to rest and not do business. And one of the things that they committed to, they said, okay, if, 
when people come and they have a really good deal and they say, I don't know, I don't know what they traded back then, goats and grain and stuff. But they're like, hey, I give you one of these goats for some of that grain. And it was a really good deal. But they weren't to do business on the Sabbath. And so at times that was really enticing. And so they committed saying, God, even if it's a great deal, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey your laws, even if it looks better. And then the last thing that they really committed to was giving to the work of God. They say, God, I'm going to start giving you what you deserve. I'm going to give you the best portion, meaning that they would have to tithe certain things, the farmers and the, and the different people who had uh, animals, and, and, and they, w- they would tithe part of that possession to the Lord. Or maybe if they, were, they just made money, that they would give some of their money back to God. But they had stopped doing that. The people had stopped doing that. And so notice, though, that their commitment Remember, it's not just what they won't do, but it also is what they will do. And this is key. And, and I know this has been a foundation, meaning the first part of this message has been mostly foundation. But now, we're, now we get into the application part. What does it look like for you and I to commit to the Lord? It's, it's got to be both. It's got to be the separation from sin, but then the obedience to God. Again, David Guzik, you can look on the screen. David Guzik is just a common Bible commentator. He's a cool guy who, uh, he's actually a Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, He's now, he used to be a pastor of Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, Uh, but he is now online for free, written Bible commentaries just about on every book of the Bible. So you even at home can go on Blue Letter Bible, go to David Guzik if something's not making sense, uh, and you can look up things just like this. And so sometimes I have a hard time, and sometimes commentators are able to put things in easier terms to understand. Pretty cool. But he says this, he says, separation is simply total devotion to God, no matter what the cost. When a man and woman get married, they separate themselves from all other possible mates and give themselves completely to each other. It is a total commitment motivated by love and it is a balanced decision. We separate from others to the one who is to be our life's mate. And I like the illustration that he gives. Think about it. Think about the illustration of marriage that he gives. That's a commitment. That is to be a lifelong commitment, right? And so when you get married one day, say if you're a guy, you're basically saying, I'm choosing this one girl, and you're saying yes to one girl and saying no to every single other one. Like I got married three years ago. We just came up on our three-year anniversary. And when I proposed, I was saying, I'm going to say yes to you, Haley, and no to every other girl. And that doesn't just happen once. That happens now three years in, where if a girl comes up to me, I say no, right? Um, And I say yes to Haley, yes to Haley, yes to Haley, right? Uh, Especially yes. Um, But think about now that in, in relationship with your God, that commitment is something saying no to everything else so that you, you can say yes to the Lord. But until I'm willing to say no to other girls, I can't say yes to Haley, right? And until you're willing to say no to everything else, you can't say yes to the Lord. And there's this, there's this such great balance in commitment. Does that make sense? I want to show you a passage in the Bible that actually has to do with how believers shouldn't marry unbelievers. But it talks about something of this idea of commitment. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 14 through seven, uh, chapter seven, verse one, it says this, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It means don't 
uh, hitch your life, don't connect your life in a way of marriage to someone that doesn't believe in God if you are a believer. He says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial? It's another word for Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Meaning, imagine if in this room, church, we had like idols set up that for you to worship. It'd be really wrong, right? Because they don't mix together. For you are the temple of the living God. Yet we do this in our lives sometimes. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. These are Old Testament quotations. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. You see, our commitment to God affects every area of our life. And I love the quotations here in this passage, these, these Old Testament quotes, because it describes to us God's desire for us. This is how God wants to be with us and wants to lead us and guide us. But sometimes uh, he, he says one of the conditions there is that we have to come out of sin and that the promises that God's promised to do that, that should be the motivation for which they say, okay, I want to commit. Not out of, oh, it's what I should do. God wants it to be out of love. Someone once said that the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. I want you to listen again and, and read it on the screen when I say that. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings, meaning new commitments. Because you and I mess up so often, I, I have found that, of course, there's that one initial time where you commit to God and you say, God, I'm, I'm following you. I'm walking after you. Maybe that was for you in junior high. Maybe that was for you in elementary school. But you're going to find these times of life where you kind of, you get off the path a little bit and you need to recommit and you need to come back and there needs to be a new beginning. And it's awesome because Lamentations chapter three, verse 22 and 23, hopefully the verse that came to your mind when I said new beginnings is this, that the, though the Lord's mercies are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. He says, great is your faithfulness. You guys ever heard that before? That his mercies are new every morning? Meaning that every morning you wake up, that it's a, it can be a new day for you, that you can recommit your life to the Lord? You can, sorry, can you put that, that verse back up? Uh, is, that, is the verse not on there? Oh, the verse is on there. Sorry, guys. Lamentations. So it, it's, that, it's that verse, hopefully you've heard of, is that God has those new compassions for us every day. That he doesn't judge us based on, well, we messed up the next day, so yeah, you're not gonna get any more of my mercy the next. But the fact that his mercy and that his compassions are with us every, every day that, that they renew doesn't mean like, okay, now I can mess up throughout the day because I know God's gonna forgive me tomorrow. No, the very fact that God's so willing to forgive us and to give us his, a, a new page every day should be the fact that we, before, the, before we actually do mess up, we should commit to the Lord and saying, God, help me to do these things. And 
So within the Old Testament, the idea to commit uh, was this. Uh, to commit, it means to, is that slide on there, Mark? To commit? Maybe it's not. Oh, no, that's all right. Uh, commit, it means to dedicate and trust entirely to a specific person. So the Old Testament, when the Bible would say commit, uh, the, the literal meaning was to roll, as though of getting, getting rid of a heavy weight or something that's very uh, large. It's to roll it away from your life. Uh, that was the idea. There was a sense that you roll away uh, this burden or whatever it might be. And there's two verses I want to share with you, and it's Psalm 37, verse 5. And it says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Um, what do you think it means when it says commit your way to the Lord? Your way. What do you think? Any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, your, your life. Uh, literally, I mean, it's, it's, life is definitely more general, but think about your, your path, like your, your way of life, your, your path, the, the, your habits, your conduct, what, the things that you do, that it's to commit, it's to trust those things to the Lord saying, God, I, I'm giving my life to you, my path. I like to think about when I, whenever I hear the, the word way in the Bible, I mean, that, that he is our way or we're to commit our way to him. Just think about it, anywhere you go. Where do you have to, how, what is the typical mode of transportation you have to use to get anywhere? Walking, right? Sometimes you walk to get to the car and then you get out of the car, but you always have to walk places, right? So think about anywhere you go. That in the morning, a way to commit your way to the Lord saying, okay, you, maybe you look at your schedule. Uh, hopefully you're not that like with it, but you know, okay, I got school today. I got sports later on. I'm going to be walking this way. Got to walk from that class to this class. Or I have, uh, or maybe you're at home and I'm going to walk from my bedroom to downstairs kitchen, to the kitchen, to the fridge, you know, whatever it might be. But it's your path. It's wherever you go. And the Bible says that when you commit your way to the Lord, you say, God, it's all yours today. Wherever you want me to go, how you want me to go, I'm trusting it to you. And the Bible says that he shall bring it to pass, meaning he, he will be able to have those things become accomplished in the way that he wants them to when you commit them to him. Second thing, Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. What do you, what do you think it means? If, that mean, if way means what we just talked about, the path of life, the, the places you go and how you go about them, uh, what do you think it means when it talks about works? Commit your works to the Lord. What do you think? Yeah. Actions? Yeah, actions for sure. Think about what is it when, you're, when your parents say, hey, get to work. What are they saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, you hit it right there, man. Energy. Put effort into it. And so when the Bible says commit your works, I mean, whatever you put energy and effort into, commit it to the Lord or let him have it. Meaning saying, God, whatever I'm going to do today, okay, whether I'm going to school, God, I'm going to commit it to you. I, I tr entrust it to you. God, I, it's, it's going to be for you. Whatever I put my energy or effort into, the Bible says that we are to commit it to the Lord and then our thoughts 
will be established. The word established means firm or reliable. I want you to write this down. The committing of work turns into the establishing of thoughts. Do you hear me? The committing of work turns into the establishing of thoughts. This is huge. Do you guys ever feel like your thought life is like unstable? I know I do at times. It's like, man, I just, it feels foggy or there's, you just feel like you're, you're back and forth. You're, you feel double-minded sometimes. Uh, maybe you don't, but I know sometimes I do. You see, sometimes we think, well, I just got to think right and then I can start doing. But the Bible says here that we are to, you know, in the beginning of our day, commit our works to the Lord, meaning whatever I'm going to put my energy and effort into. And the Bible says, when you do that, God will be the one to begin to establish or make firm or reliable your thoughts. Sometimes you're so focused on your thought life, you're like, I just, I, I feel like I can't think. Well, just start doing what the Lord wants you to do, putting your effort and energy into godly things, and all of a sudden your thoughts start to become clear, that the fog fades away, and it's awesome. You see, the committing of work turns into the establishing of thoughts. And so we are to commit our way and our work, and God will bring it to pass, and he will establish our thoughts. Okay, does that make sense? You guys following? We're to do that every day, committing our way and our work to him. But what does this look like practically? Like actually everyday life. You see, I believe that this is the pattern for repentance that the Bible gives us to, to stop doing what you were doing. But the problem with that is if you don't fill it in, in that area that you were doing something wrong with good godly things, then sin is just going to return. See, sometimes we're like so committed and we're like, I'm just going to stop doing this. And then the next day, what happens? You do it again. It's because you did not fill in the area of sin with good godly things. And that's why the repentance is two parts in that way. Is that it is saying, I'm not going to do this, but I am going to do this now. It is the turning away and the turning to. It's double parted. Paul tells us, and I like the example he gives, Ephesians 4.28. He says, let him who stole steal no longer. Okay, stop doing it. Stop stealing. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Do you guys see it? He says, hey, if you're stealing, confess that to God and stop. And then he says, the opposite of stealing. What is the opposite of stealing? Giving. And so he says, instead of stealing, start working hard, actually putting your effort and energy into something that's good, that's going to make you something, and then start giving to other people. You see, one of the best remedies to stop sinning is to start doing good things, is to start doing the opposite of that sin. John the Baptist tells the people in Luke chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, uh, I don't know, you can put it up. But Luke chapter three, we don't have time today, verses seven through 14, uh, it's an awesome inner, uh, encounter with John the Baptist that he's telling the people, repent of your sins. He says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then the people, there's three different types of people that come up to him. There's just normal people and they, they ask him, okay, then wh what should we do then? If we're not to do if we're to repent of our sins, uh, what should we do then? And he says, start being generous and start giving to people. Just general blanket statement. 
He says, if you're sinning, so stop sinning, but then just start giving, being generous to people. It's an amazing thing that will keep you from sin. Then these tax collectors, these tax collectors come up uh, to him, to John the Baptist, and they say, okay, John, we're, we're ready to uh, repent. We're ready to get rid of our sin. What, what, what do we do now? And for a tax collector, uh, tax collectors always took more than they were supposed to, right? And so he says to them, don't take advantage of people. Start doing the opposite of what you used to do. Then the third people come up to him and say, John the Baptist, what, what, what do we do? We're, we're done sinning. What should we do? And soldiers were known for taking advantage of the people as well, that they would say, uh, here, hold, you know, hold my stuff and, and help me. And because they were in this place of authority. And so he told the soldiers, don't, don't take advantage of people. And soldiers were also known for complaining a lot about their wage. Say, oh, we don't get paid enough. And so he told them, stop complaining and, and don't take advantage of people. And there was, this, there was this back and forth kind of way like that. You guys get that? That you're to fill in what you're trying to get rid of? I heard someone say once they were, they were talking about an interaction uh, with them and their husband. It was, a, it was a woman. And she was saying that, you know, she was sitting, just doing something. And her husband came running in, comes running in and says, Where, where's the checkbook? Where's the checkbook? And so she's like, why? He's like, I, I need the checkbook. She's like, why? He's like, I'm feeling really selfish and we need to give. And I like that. Because the whole, the whole concept was that he, he could sense that sin that was coming up in him, and he's feeling real selfish with money. And so he's like, I need to write a check. I need to give money because it is the best remedy against sin. What about Zacchaeus? Do you guys know little wee Zacchaeus? If you're with us on Wednesday nights, we looked at him a little while ago. Luke 19 verse 8 says that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. You see, Zacchaeus, does anyone know what kind of occupation Zacchaeus was in? Tax collector. What kind of tax collector? He was a chief tax collector, right? He was a tax collector of the tax collectors, meaning he, would, he was in charge. He was the head honcho. And so he was known for taking a lot of advantage of people from asking people for taxes way more than they actually owed for own self-gain. And so I love that he says here, he says to Jesus, look, I'm he says, I'm actually going to do this. He had not done this yet. He says, I'm going to give all, half my goods to the poor. And then those people that I stole from and took more, he says, I'm going to restore to them four times as much. Meaning if he stole by taxes, it was illegal stealing. He took $100 from someone, he would give them $400 back because he was real about his repentance. But what about you guys? So I wrote some things down, some things that maybe sin. I, I'm not a junior hire, so I, I had to sit down and think like, okay, hey, what kind of sins do you guys struggle with? You know, we all struggle with some of the same stuff for sure. Um, but I wrote some down and then I'm gonna give you the opposite. So I'm gonna give you the sin and then I'm gonna give you what to do opposite of that sin, okay? And so I want you to think of some because I, if you have one, I want you to, Say it out loud when I call on you, okay? First one, so if you're being rude to your mom, I'm sure none of you are that, right? If you're being disrespectful, talking back, saying something sassy, uh, and you're like, okay, and, and you feel that conviction, okay? And so before the Lord, you confess that to the Lord. And of course, you ask your mom for forgiveness. 
Okay, so number one, you just stop being rude. Stop being disrespectful to your mom. But in replace of that, then what can you do to show her love? What can you do to serve her? I'm sure a variety of different things. Or maybe you're feeling super lazy and you're not doing your homework and your, your mom's telling you to do stuff and you're just not doing it or whatever it might be. And you're just like, you just got this lazy spirit about you. Okay, so number one, stop being lazy, but then go take out the trash. Go clean your room for once without your mom telling you. Hey, you, you do something in place of that. Or what about cussing? If you're like, man, I just have a potty mouth. Okay, so number one, stop cussing, but then start saying good things, right? The opposite of cussing is what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the opposite of cussing is, but I don't know, blessing someone, maybe encouraging someone, giving someone a compliment, sharing a verse with someone. Does that make sense? Do you guys have any that you can think of? Yeah. Lying? Okay, what's the opposite of lying? Okay. What's that? And also talking back. Okay. Right, that's the, that's the being rude. Yeah. Okay, so what's the opposite of watching a bad movie or show? Don't watch it. No, that's, no, that's what you don't do. So number one, right, you stop watching the bad movie or show. But then what should you go and fill your mind with? Yeah, something good. And that's the fun, guys, that's the fun part is that you, it can be whatever that works for you. Right? There's not one answer. I mean, you could go and, of course, like read your Bible, fill in, but maybe go watch a, a good show, right? The, <laughs> fill your life with good things, right? And like... What about evil thoughts? If you're like, man, I just have all these evil thoughts and I just can't get them out of my mind. Well, okay, stop thinking thoughts, but that's right. But then if you just, okay, I'm just gonna stop thinking thoughts. Stop thinking evil thoughts. Oh, dang, there's another evil thought, right? Because you're not filling your mind now with good things. The Bible says we're to meditate. We're to do the opposite. What about stealing? All right, we talked about that. Stop stealing and start giving. What about pride? It's the opposite of pride. Okay, so if you start being prideful, so what would be a remedy? What would be something that you could do uh, in opposition to your pride? Encourage. No, no, no. Now you're just yelling out random, like good Christian things to do. I'm talking about the opposite of pride. Be humble. Be humble. Okay. Selfless. Someone says selfless. So then, what could you do to someone to show a selfless act? All right. So it's right. Serving them. What about, what about this? What about humbling yourself and giving your sister the remote when your favorite show is on TV? Okay. Does that make, <laughs> do you guys get the idea? Okay. No. Who said no? We're going to have to talk after service because you got to get this. Guys, this, it is simple. Hard to do, but simple. If you just, if you're in this vicious cycle of you just can't get out of the sin, it's because you're not truly doing the act of repentance. There's something missing in that category of things. And so here we have the pattern for repentance, that it's conviction from the Holy Spirit that comes. Then we should come to God with that humble and broken confession, which should lead us to separate from sin, but then start obeying God. You might be really good at separating from sin, but if you don't start obeying God in things and, 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 on, and everyday things like we were talking about, sin is going to come right back in there. And so remember the big idea for today is that repentance is not just a one-time act of salvation, 
but a consistent attitude we have before the Lord. Honestly, on a daily basis, we need this. Because you and I sin every day. Guys, but if that sin doesn't start turning into less and less and less, there's an issue. There's something off there. And so in your commitment to the Lord and, and separating from sin, I start filling your life with the opposite of that. Okay? And it's, let's have that attitude before the Lord. So Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word and just the, how practical it is. Lord, that this is stuff we deal with every day. Lord, I ask that you would give us just the faith and you give us the strength to, Lord, just recognize, Lord, when there is sin in our life and you'd come and you'd cleanse us from that. Lord, that you would reveal to us your, your will for us and Lord, that you would help us not just, just separate ourselves from bad things, but fill our lives with good, godly things, the things that you want us to fill, to live like. And so, Lord, we take a moment now and uh, we commit our way to you, meaning anywhere we go today or this week, God, we just commit it to you. We trust you with it. We want to do it right. Lord, we also commit our work to you. Anything that we put our energy and effort into, Lord, whether it's school, whether it's seeking you, whether it's worship, Lord, that whatever we do, we want to do all in and we want to do it unto you, Lord. And so we commit our lives to you. We commit our weeks to you. And Lord, we pray that you be glorified through everything, Lord, that our life produces. In Jesus' name, amen.